0: Let's go ahead and open up to Psalm 19, amen? Okay, there it is, there it is. We're excited to be in the Word of God tonight. That's right, we get excited about the Word, amen. We get excited about opening the Word. Ain't that right, Bruce? Yes, sir, amen. Come on, I know Bruce is with me. And if you're taking notes, I hope that you are. I got a few things I want you to to walk away with tonight. The title of the message is this, To God Be the Glory. The title of our message tonight is To God Be the Glory. The glory. The Psalms hold a special place in my heart, personally. Each summer, I usually finish my Bible reading plan around May. And so in the summertime, I spend a lot of extra time in the Psalms. And this, for me, is a chapter in the Bible that has done a great work in me for a long time. And I'm excited to kind of walk through it with you. Now, one of the reasons why I enjoy the Psalms is because the ones by King David just are so. Real and raw and vulnerable before the Lord. How many of you know we need vulnerability in our life and with the Lord? Amen. We need realness and we need rawness. There's not a single person in here that has it all together. Man, can we just get that off the table for August? Before we go to August 2nd, can we just admit that not a single person in here has it all together? Amen. Not a single one of us. Let's get that off the table. If you're looking around in this room and you think, oh, all these people belong here, I don't, you are wrong. <laughs> you are wrong every single one of us have brokenness, have sin in our lives that we have to deal with. And ultimately, that's what you find. You find King David throughout the Psalms dealing with the fear, the anxiety, the sin that he has in his life and how he takes that to the Lord. Now, as we look at Psalm 19, I want you to understand the emphasis of this is on God's glory. The emphasis of what David is going to talk about here is on God's glory. And God's glory is something we hear a lot about in the church from time to time. And I've heard for a while that my purpose and your purpose is to glorify God. But I want to dig into that concept a little bit of what it means to live a life that is actually, truly honoring and glorifying to the Lord. What does that really mean? When people say that God's glory is ultimate priority, that we're to glorify the Lord, what does that really look like in our life? Now, tonight's sermon is important because God's glory is important. Amen? It's all over Scripture. It's all over Scripture. Scripture has a lot to say about it. In fact, all of creation exists to glorify God. In Psalm 72 Verse 19, you can write this reference down if you want. We find this verse that says, Blessed be his glorious name forever. The whole earth is filled with his glory. Amen and amen. But an important principle about God's glory that we have to take note of before we even get to Psalm 19 is this. Uh, Not only is the whole earth filled with God's glory, God won't share his glory either. God will not share his glory. I'll take you to Isaiah 42. This is verse 8. Hear the words that are said. It says this, I am the Lord. That is my name, and I will not give my glory to another or my praise to idols. Now I'm 28 years old. I'm a few years ahead of your season of life. I'm married. I love my wife Hannah. Can y'all make some noise for Hannah tonight? Amen. Come on. I'm married, and uh, I'm in slightly of a different season of life than you are, but... You guys are currently walking through a season of, most people in here are probably 18 to 24 years old. 18 to 24 years old. This is a pivotal six years of your life. I don't want to put more pressure on it than you already have, but I want you to understand this is a very pivotal, pivotal time in your life. One of the reasons why me and Hannah love working with college students, she would say the same if you ask her this, one of the reasons why we love working with you guys is because you are making pivotal life decisions, And the decisions that you are making between the ages of 18 to 24 are going to impact the rest of your life. You say, Daniel, how? I'll tell you this. You're currently choosing what major to study in school, which is going to eventually lead you to a career that you're going to work for years to come. You're choosing and making a decision on who you're going to marry, who will make a spouse. Hopefully, you're deciding who will make a godly spouse. But you're ultimately making a decision during this time often that who are you going to marry? Who are you going to settle down with? Where are you going to live? What place in the country? Your job may take you to another part of the country. You guys are making massive life decisions. You're not short on big decisions by any means. And with all big decisions, what comes with those? Excitement, joy, hope. Those those decisions come with a lot of great things, but they also come with fear, anxiety, stress, Let's be honest in the house of the Lord tonight. Does anybody feel a little bit stressed at all right now? Heading into the fall, you're trying to I don't know what your story is, you do. I'm doing my master's work. I'm a little stressed on seminary, all right? So I get it. You're probably stressed on school, stressed on that next season of life, stressed on finding a job. I don't know what it is for you, you do. But big decisions, they come with excitement. They come with joy, but they come with stress. I'll tell you this, as you make these life decisions, it's important to know that those life decisions should be made, with God's glory at the center. That at the center of your decision-making, college students, is God's glory. That it's not just the part, it's the whole part. But see, often for 18 to 24-year-olds, what has pained my heart to see, and I was in this boat until I got saved, is that a lot of times God's glory is not at the center of our decision-making because our happiness is at the center of our decision-making. Let's be honest. A lot of times we make life decisions based on happiness. Happiness is a mood that is fleeting. (laughs) A lot of us are making life decisions that are based on comfort. A lot of us are making life decisions that are ultimately centered on something other than God's glory being the ultimate and highest thing. Now, that's countercultural. To say to an 18 to 24 year old that as you're making life decisions, God's glory should be at the center because the rest of the world is not making decisions based on God's glory. The rest of the world, the people that you're going back to in the fall to be around with, lost souls in the world are making decisions on their life, where they're going to live, what career they're going to do, who they're going to marry. They're making all these decisions. If they're lost, they're basing it on something other than God's glory, which means their happiness, their comfort, their popularity, all these different kind of things. Now, here's what I want to tell you. When you are at the center of your decision making, that means your own glory is at the center of your decision making. And God won't share his glory. And as much as he loves you, he won't share his glory with you either. And as much as he loves me, he's not going to share his glory with me neither. So I love this sermon. I love this topic because as you make big life decisions, are you making them with God's glory at the center Is your life being honoring and pleasing to the Lord, being in his will, the ultimate priority in your life, or is it just a thought you have from time to time? That's what I wanna challenge you with tonight. And so, as I can give you a sermon in a sentence, here it is, in one sentence, here's where we're going. When you get in the car with somebody, you wanna know where they're taking you, here it is. God's glory can be seen in all of his creation. So is his glory shown in how you live your life? God's glory can be seen in all of his creation, so is his glory shown in how you live your life is where we're going to land tonight. And so if you will, as you're writing that down, I want to give you a moment. I'm going I'm to begin to read Psalm 19, the majority of the verses. <clears throat> and Look with me, if you will, starting in verse 1. The heavens declare the glory of God, says David. And the expanse proclaims the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour out speech. Night after night, they communicate knowledge. There is no speech. There are no words. Their voice is not heard. Their message has gone out to the whole earth and their words to the ends of the world. In the heavens, he has pitched a tent for the sun. It is like a bridegroom coming, home, coming from his home. It rejoices like an athlete running a course. It rises, the sun that is, rises from one end of the heavens and circles to their other end. Nothing is hidden from its heat. So David speaks about creation. Now he switches in verse 7. Look at this. There's a shift here. Verse 7 says this. The instruction of the Lord is perfect, renewing one's life. The testimony of the Lord is trustworthy, making the inexperienced wise. The precepts of the Lord are right, making the heart glad. The command of the Lord is radiant, making the eyes light up. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The ordinance of the Lord are reliable and altogether righteous. They are more desirable than gold, than an abundance of pure gold and sweeter than honey. In addition, your servant is warned by them, and in keeping them, there is an abundant reward. Who perceives his unintentional sins? Cleanse me from my hidden faults. Moreover, keep your servant from willful sins. Do not let them rule me. Then I will be blameless and cleansed from blatant rebellion. And then verse 14, you've probably heard it. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable to you, Lord, my rock and my redeemer. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. Let me give you two things. Here's number one if you're taking notes. Number one, the heavens declare God's glory. The very first thing we have to notice in this text is that number one, the heavens declare God's glory. There is a fundamental truth that you have to understand about God. You have to understand this. That not only is God the creator of all creation, but he is involved in his creation. There's a fundamental truth about God that you have to know, and that's that God... Did not create us and leave us, but God created us, has intervened in several different ways we're going to talk about, but he is also involved within his creation. Now, this is called, throughout human history, this is called divine revelation. And so if you're taking notes, I want to give you two things that I want to walk through for a moment of how God reveals himself. And here they are. It's general revelation and special revelation. Two ways in scripture that we see that God has made quite literally his existence known. So if you do know God, if you're a believer, you came to know God through the revelation he has made in his creation. All of Psalm 19 is about revelation. David is simply talking about the the general revelation we have of God, and he's talking about the special revelation we have of God. It's an incredible psalm, but it's very simple. It's very straightforward. Now understand this. Let's talk about general revelation first, which is pivotal to the understanding that a God exists. General revelation refers and represents that God has shown himself to be real through that which he has made. That all of existence, our nature, our world, points to a creator. Now, you've heard this before, and this is the truth that we understand from Scripture, that creation demands a creator, and design demands a designer. What this means is, when you look around at our world... When you look at creation, there must be a creator. When you look at design, there must be a designer. And for some of us, man, we understand. Like, yeah, of course, this is a great truth to understand. Can I tell you that the majority of our culture doesn't believe this to be true? That when you step foot at University of Memphis campus or wherever you're going, to believe that there's a designer of the world and your soul, you will probably be in the minority. Do you understand that? Like, we have to understand that The world does not recognize there is a designer because that means recognizing there is a higher authority. And guess what? Humans want to be the higher authority. So if there's no designer of us, that means we are the higher authority. But that's simply not true. So understand, as you head back to your college campus, this is crucial. This is pivotal to your beliefs of God, that you are a creation, the world is a creation, and that demands a creator, that demands a designer. That if you go into a field and you find a textbook... You would never believe that that textbook fell from the sky. Why, Keegan? Because it has words in it that tell a story. All through that textbook, you would find words that tell a story. Did you know that your DNA is so complex, it equals 3,000 different textbooks of what your DNA tells a story of? That you are a unique design, that our world is a unique design. That somebody made that book, they wrote that book, they binded it together, they put a cover on it, and they put it back to it. There's a big view in our world, that we happen by chance, that we're just here, that there is no designer, that there is no creator. So when you head to your college campus, understand this. You will, if you're heading to a public university, there's a great chance you are going to be in the minority on this understanding, that you and I are not the highest authority. We are not the supreme beings. We have someone who has created us and has created the world. Of course, Romans chapter one, Paul deals with this issue because it's not a new issue. This issue has been around for a long time. So when you see... Atheistic worldviews in our culture, understand, that is not a new worldview. That has been around for a while. Paul dealt with it. In Romans 1, verse 20, he talks about general revelation. He talks about how we can see God. It says this, For his invisible attributes, that is, two things we're going to come back to in a minute, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen since the creation of the world, being understood through what he has made. As a result, people are without excuse. If I can tell you a quick story, on my 17th birthday, I got my first car. Now, the reason why I got it on my 17th birthday and not my 16th birthday is because I failed my driving test. Okay, (laughs) Amen. We're all human. I finally passed my driving test and I come home on my birthday and my dad has quite literally built a car from scratch for me to drive. Incredible. I mean, built the engine for it, found it, put it all together, spent money on it, put his hard work time into it, put it together, and gave it to me as a gift. And I'll never forget at 17 years old how excited my dad was to gift me something that he had made. He was proud because he had created it. For me to walk up to my dad and say this, I can't believe this car came out of nowhere and just showed up like this for me to be able to drive. That's crazy, ain't it, Dad? <laughs> well, see you later. I'm gonna go live my life. It's disrespectful to my father and foolish in thinking. For you and I to have this beautiful world that we have around us and to know the complexity that we have been created with, and then to neglect that we have a creator, but to say, Well, I'm so glad I've just showed up like this. All right, I'm gonna go live my life, is disrespectful to our creator and it's foolish in thinking. No, college students, you did not get here by chance. You are not random. And somebody in this room needs to hear this tonight. Not even the college campus. Somebody in here tonight. You were not made in a factory. You did not just show up here. You were created by somebody who loves you and has designed you a purpose. I'm getting ahead of myself because I'm excited tonight. On nature, Tony Evans says, nature preaches a sermon of God's glory. That all the nature around us is preaching a sermon about the glory of God. Because our Bible tells us that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. It tells us that the Holy Spirit of God was hovering over the world. First God created light, then God created the expanse, which David refers to in verse 1. The expanse proclaims the work of his hands. The expanse refers to our atmosphere. And then after that, do you remember God created land? He created mountains. He created beaches. After that, God created the plants. And then, and then God separated the day from the night, which David references as well. Day after day, they pour out speech. Night after night, they communicate knowledge. And then God created the sea creatures. And after that, he made the land animals. And then you'll remember, lastly, God created who? Male and female in his own image. A unique creation, a unique design, unlike anything else he had made so far. So Paul is referring to this creation account in Genesis. Romans 1, Psalm 19, is going back to the original creation account, which still has not failed. I love Miss Donna, our our pastor's wife. She says that science is finally catching up to the Bible. That quite literally, one of the the most accurate account of creation is Genesis. That they're all pointing back to the creation account where you and me were made in his image. Paul refers to this when he says what can be known about God has been shown to earth, to us. The earth, the ocean, the stars, how our planet functions, it all reveals the designer. In other words, what's invisible about God is not actually invisible because creation testifies to it. Creation is pointing to it. So if I can give you two things to write down real quickly, it would be this. God's eternal power and God's divine nature. There's two takeaways that we see when we look at Psalm 19 and we look at Romans chapter 1. That since there is a creator, it is pointing us to God's eternal power and God's divine nature. Two things that are critical to the nature of God. I'm going to talk about God's eternal power first. If we're in agreement, if we would say, hey, design demands a designer, there must be a creator, then what is he like? Well, what do we see from his creation? Here's the first thing. God's eternal power is shown through his ability to create and sustain life. God's eternal power is shown through his ability to create and sustain life. This will come up on the screen in just a moment. i see it next. The very first thing we understand is that his eternal power shows that he can sustain life. You know, you can't sustain yourself. That you didn't create yourself and you also can't sustain yourself. In fact, Job chapter 30, here it is right here. You can take a picture of it or you can write it down. God's eternal power is shown through his ability to create and sustain life. It demands an all-powerful being to not just create a world, but sustain it. Some of us, man, if we're honest, and I'm guilty of it, we can't sustain a clean house or a clean room or a clean car. We got McDonald's and Taco Bell trash all in our car. We can't sustain a clean car, much less sustain the life that we have been given. But God is the sustainer of all life. In fact, Job 33, here's a reference I was going to give you. Verse 4 says that the Spirit of God has made me, and the breath of the Almighty gives me life. Dakota's been reading in Job. I know he'll appreciate this. The breath of the Almighty gives me life. Come on, you can't sustain yourself, but you have a God who can. What we try to do as humans, God bless you, is we, if we're honest, try to sustain ourselves with resources instead of allowing the source to sustain us. Everything in this world is a resource. God is the true source, which means he is the only one that can sustain you, which means I love your friends. Let's get practical for a minute. I love your friend groups. They cannot sustain you. They can't breathe for you. And they certainly cannot sustain your joy. Your job can't. I love your job. I love your career. You could lose your job. Newsflash. You could lose your job. Your job cannot sustain you. It can't sustain your joy. It can provide an income. But ultimately, a job we are given is a job that the Lord has opened for us. And he is the source. He is the sustainer of all life. Which means we cannot run to resources to sustain us. We must go to the source. But as humans, man, we're constantly trying to put our faith in resources, and we wonder why we continue to end up hurt and alone and empty. Why does the fuel gauge always reach E? If you always feel like you're on E, it's probably because you're looking for a resource to do what only the source can. Let's be honest. A boyfriend or a girlfriend can't do it for you. Money can't do it for you. The only thing that can sustain you, I'm going to say it one more time because I know the Lord is speaking to somebody in here right now, the only thing that can sustain you is the one who created you and gave you life in the first place. As you head into the fall, I want to give you one of the best resources to read. I read this with a group of guys a few years ago. If you're taking notes, I want you to write this down. The book is called I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist. Has anybody ever read that book in here? A few people? More of you need to. If I can be honest with you, as missionaries, as college students, you need to read that book. If I can give you a goal this fall, you're doing reading for school, you're doing reading for discipleship, you're doing reading for your job, you should read I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist. Not in substitution for your scripture, but as an addition to it, because it's a fantastic resource. It walks through truth and how we can know we have a creator, and it, it equips you to understand why you believe what you believe so that when you get asked at your job or at your college campus you know what to say besides just the bible tells me so that's great and we do the bible has all the answers but at the end of the day a lost person wants to hear more than just well my 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 pastor told me that there's a designer so that's why I think there's a designer they're going to be like I don't care who your pastor is well he's a younger guy i still don't care how old he is well, oh, he's, he's got tattoos and he's redhead and he's got some glasses. They don't care that he has tattoos. They want to know why you believe what you believe, not why me or Dakota believe it. They don't care what your mom and dad believe. And I man, some of you like, let this be a wake up call to encourage you. You can't live on your mom and dad's faith in college. You're going to have to grow up and adopt your own because when you get out there, they want to know why you believe what you believe, not why you grew up in it. And I man, if you're out there and you're like, man, I, pff, I don't really know what I would say. This is kind of discouraging discouragements from the enemy, not from the Lord. But use that as conviction to say, man, I'm going to go out there. I'm going to get these resources. I'm going to dig deeper into the word. I'm going to understand truth and why I believe truth and why I'm willing to defend it. Let this motivate you to take an action step to go deeper in your faith. When I read that book with a group of college guys, it took us deeper. Dakota was one of us. It took us deeper in our faith. We understood why we believed it, and it was worth the time even though it was a hard read. Am I right, Dakota? Amen. I'm going to have to do a part two on this sermon. One of the things in that book that I want to give you, because David is talking about the expanse, is it talks about the earth. And it's very fascinating. There's a lot of things I could go into with this, but I want to give you three And If you're taking notes, I'd love for you to write this down. When you talk about our world, there's three things about our earth that point to a creation. And I could do a whole sermon on this, but I want to give you just a little bit maybe to whet your appetite and get you to go read and study it yourself. The first thing I want you to write down is the size of the earth. The size of the earth. The planet we're residing on. The planet we're living on. (laughs) The size of the earth points to a creator. One of the things talked about in this book is that if the earth was any smaller or larger, we would not be able to live here. That the earth is the exact size to be able to hold life which is an intelligent design. In fact, smaller, and it would be impossible to have an atmosphere. Larger, and it would contain free hydrogen like Jupiter. Now, if you're mad about that, take it up with Geisler, not me. The earth's size points to a creator so that we can have life here. Not just size, location. The earth's location. Not only has an intelligent being created our world with the right size for us to live, but it's also the right distance from the sun. Man, that's crazy, isn't it? But it's true. Any closer, we'd burn. Any further from the sun, we'd freeze. The earth's size points to an intelligent designer. The earth's location points to an intelligent designer. And I'll give you just one more, and I hope that you'll go do some research. Earth's water. Isn't it fascinating? And I'll I'll walk through these one more time just to make sure you have them. Isn't it fascinating that 97% of our earth is water? And yet what we have here is an evaporation system that cleanses the water of salt and spreads it across the globe in order to maintain life. These are things that point to an intelligent designer of our world, the planet that you are living on. And it showcases an attribute of God as his eternal power because not just did he create it this way, he is sustaining it this way. For some of you, man, if I can get real for a second, it's it's not even about defending your faith. It's about understanding your faith. Like, some of you have a lot of doubts about why you believe what you believe. Some of you have doubts about the Bible. You have doubts about God being a creator. Can I be honest with you? It's okay to have those doubts. Like, God can handle those. My question is, what are you doing about it? I had those, I took them to Scripture. I took them to trusted people. I took them to science. And when I went to science, it kept pointing me back to God's creation account. It kept pointing me back to scripture. So, man, if you are walking through doubts and fear, what are you doing about it to find those answers? Ultimately, my prayer is that you will be secure in your faith. Because the biggest sign of somebody who won't share the gospel is somebody who's not confident in the gospel. Like, understand, the reason we don't share is because we're, it's not just rejection. Like, in the church, it's always like, oh, don't be afraid of rejection. Don't be afraid of rejection. Like, man, I got over rejection my second time sharing the gospel, if I'm honest with you. Like, I, I was like, all right, well, this is it. People have told me, no, that's it. I was like, okay, this is fine. Like, fine, There's strangers anyway, so i just go do it. It's harder to share the gospel with loved ones. Ultimately, though, what keeps us from really sharing the gospel is we're not really confident in it, and we're scared we're going to get an answer we don't know how to answer to. We're going to get a question we don't know how to answer to. So what do you do? Do College students, I'm asking you, seriously, do you just go through your life saying, well, maybe the answer will come to me one day. Maybe I'll get confident enough I can share the gospel. I don't know. Or do you make it a plan and a priority while you're in college to be a missionary who goes and finds the answers you need in order to be confident to share the gospel? You don't need to know everything, but you need to know enough to be confident to go share. Confident enough to tell somebody, hey, I don't know the answer to that question, but every day, Every day I'm studying and looking for the answers myself. At 21 years old, I'm definitely doing a part two next week. At 21 years old, I was lost. I hated Christianity. I hated the church. The last thing I wanted was to become a Christian. If I can be honest with you, just raw and real, I thought it was lame. I thought it was fake. I didn't believe in it at all. 21 years old, seven years ago, I couldn't stand it. There's nothing you can say to convince me to be a believer. And the thing that got on my nerves the most about Christians, if I can just be real with you, the thing that irked my nerves the most is Christians who would go to church every single Sunday, post all over Instagram, but would never share the gospel with me one time in the college classroom. I'm like, do you really believe what you got your hands up for? You ain't told me about it. And I've been in here the whole semester. Or when somebody would come and sit down with me and ask me questions about what I believe, and then I'd ask, they're asking me questions about what do I believe about purpose and eternity, and then I'd ask them, and they wouldn't have the answers. And then I would ask them, well, are you looking for the answers? And they'd be like, well, I probably need to. I'm like, man, if this is real to you, you should be searching. You should want to know. We will see a shift in our evangelism in the city of Memphis when we desire to know God truly for ourselves. That will give us a desire to want others to know him. The problem is, we don't really desire God's presence the way we're called to. I don't know what your action step is tonight. I know mine, and that's for me and the Lord, but I'm telling you, God is calling you to something. If it's according to his will, which it always will be, say yes. Say yes. There are atheists, there are apathetic people out there who will give their lives to Jesus if you will get serious about this thing. I would have gotten saved a whole lot earlier if I had run into somebody who was on fire for it, but man, I, I never did. I never did. Like, I wish, it's my fault, I should have got saved earlier, but I wish, man, at 18 years old, somebody would have set me down and told me the gospel, answered my questions or told me they'd look for the answers, but it never happened. That's why I have such an urge to go to University of Memphis and share the gospel now because there's other people out there like me. All they need is somebody just to tell them about Jesus and they'd give their life to Him. and they could be a pastor, they could be a missionary, they could be a doctor on fire for the Lord. They just need somebody to tell them. Not only God's eternal power, God's divine nature. I want you to write this down. God's divine nature. Let's shift gears for a moment. God's divine nature is shown through this, and this is, I love this, this is beautiful, shown through the beauty, harmony, diversity, and balance that is in our world. Not only is God powerful, not only is he massive, not only is he calling us to live for him and share the gospel, but He is divine, there is harmony, there is beauty. Our God is a God of love and our God is a God of righteousness. He is just and that is shown throughout creation. You know, one of the best, most incredible ways we see God's divine nature is through our skin color. Did you know that? It's a shame because our culture and as humans, sinfully, we have messed this up. But you know, our skin color is a beautiful representation of God's divine nature because he has created So many of us around the planet with different skin tones and different skin colors. And you know what? In God's book, not one of us are ranked higher based on skin color. (sighs) Let me say that one more time. Not one of us are ranked higher based on a skin color. But our skin color communicates the beauty and the creativity of our God that we would look different but all be the same. But what we have done as humans, let's be honest, we have taken skin color and ranked it throughout human history not just in America, but throughout human history. We've taken a beautiful, creative design of the Lord and we used it for racism and segregation, murders. But skin color communicates the beauty that the Lord has created us with. Music. That we are the only beings who can put together music in a way where it tells a message and there's harmony and there's peacefulness. You know, I don't know if you're a beach or mountain person. I know that both camps are very opinionated on it. I'm a beach person, in case you wanted to know. Amen. There's a small group of us. One of the reasons why I love the beach is not because of the sunburns. I had a bad one a few years ago, man. It's not the sunburns. But it's when golden hour, maybe even a little bit later, 8 o'clock. Not for the pictures. You think I'm talking about the pictures. I'm not talking about the pictures. Although those are great. But when you're sitting on the beach and it's not crowded anymore, you know, when, like, everybody goes in. For the day, and the beach gets less crowded, and you're kind of sitting there. I remember being at the beach, sitting alone, close to the water. A lot of times people fall asleep. It's one of the most relaxing places to read. Why is that? Why do we get to the beach and we sit there by the ocean, and it's one of the most relaxing places? We'll drive all over the country, we'll fly the world to go to a beach. You know why? Because of the sound of the waves. Sure, it's beautiful, it's fun, it's a getaway. One of the driving forces is when you're sitting on that beach, those waves are like music, are they not? Hearing the sound, guess what? They always come up and they always go right back down, just like God says so. Because the waves of the ocean are like a harmony. God's creation literally points to his divine nature in that there is beauty and there is harmony in the waves of the ocean. You can't tell me there's not because there's lost souls that travel to the beach for one of those exact reasons right there. It's all over creation. That's what David is saying. David is saying that all over creation, it is glorifying God. It does what God said. The sun rises because God says so. The sun sets because God says so. It's an incredible, beautiful thing. Paul says that all of this has been seen by everybody. All of it. That we have seen creation and ultimately that we can be pointed to the designer and the creator. One thing I said a few years ago when it comes to believing is that we don't lack evidence of God. We just lack acceptance of God. This is one of the door hinges of a sermon series many, many years ago here at The View that we did. It's that we're not short on evidence. We're short on acceptance. We have all the evidence. We have all the signs. We have all that we need and yet we just often won't accept the gospel. The biggest example of this that David gives is the sun. In 19, verse 4, excuse me, in verse 6, it says, the sun rises from one end of the heavens and circles to the other end. Nothing is hidden from its heat. If I can encourage you with an illustration quite literally from nature, the sun in the sky preaches a sermon pointing to Christ. If you will pay attention, if you will look at the world around you, The sun is one of the supreme examples of our God communicating to us who he is. The sun does exactly what the Lord says. And it provides at least three essential things the sun does. These won't be on the screen or anything. It's just three things the sun in the sky gives. That's life, light, and warmth. Three things the sun does provides life, provides light, provides warmth. Without the sun, we would have no life. And if you think about that in regards to the Son of God, to Jesus Christ, Scripture tells us that Jesus came to the world for a specific reason. Do you know what that reason was? I'll give it to you if you don't. It's found in John. It's John 10.10. 10. It says this, A thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come so that they may have, say it with me, life and have it in abundance. The sun in the sky gives life to us, but the Jesus Christ gives everlasting life. Not only that, but without the sun, we wouldn't have light. We'd be in complete darkness, frozen. Bless you. Light. This year, we began 2022 by telling you a simple message, and that is Jesus is the light of the world. And not only that, but because you are so uniquely, divinely designed that you, through the power of the Holy Spirit, are the light of the world too when you live for Jesus. But then lastly, the sun gives warmth. I think the most humbling part of all this in my study is that not only is our God the creator and sustainer of life, he is Lord, he is large, he is big, but he is not far away. And I know somebody needs to hear this tonight. God is not far away, he is not distant. There are kings and rulers, there are celebrities, there are athletes we will never reach and we will never meet. Michael Jordan is awesome, but I don't believe I will ever meet Michael Jordan. He is not personal to me in any way. He is not personal to you in any way. We have celebrities, kings, and athletes who are far, far away in this world, but we have the creator of the heavens and the earth who is not far from you. He is a personal God, and aren't you grateful for that? Amen? He's personal. He is so personal to you, and he desires to know you, and I hope you know the love that is offered to you from the Lord. Ephesians 3 talks about it. Ephesians 3, verses 17 to 19 say this, Amen. these are good. If you're looking for memorization verses, here you go. Christ, That Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, then it picks up and says this, I pray, Paul says, that you being rooted and firmly established in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the length and width, height and depth of God's love and to know Christ's love that surpasses knowledge so that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Which brings me to my second point and my last one for tonight is this. So not only, number one, do the heavens declare God's glory, but number two, you were created to declare God's glory. You were created to declare God's glory. Man, I hope you're encouraged tonight, but I want to give you a hard question. The Son gives glory to its Creator. Do you? We talked about general revelation. Through creation, we are pointed to a creator. Let me talk about special revelation. And if you're taking notes, I'd love for you to write this down. Special revelation represents the written and living word of God. Special revelation, the two forms of revelation we have gotten from God, general and special, represents the written and living word of God. That God loves us so much, he stepped into his creation and got involved. Not only is the Elohim the creator, but he is Jehovah. He's a personal God, so understand this that God is so loving and so personal. Here's what he has done. He has supplied us with the word of God which has everything we need for life. He has spoken from the heavens. But not only that, John 3:16. God so loved the world, he so loved you and me that he sent his only son to die on a cross so that all who believe in him will never perish but have eternal life, that through Jesus Christ, through his Son, he has made himself known in human history at the exact time he desired. He made known to the world that, hey, not just is there a creator and there's a designer, here's who he is. Here's a name, the name above all names, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, Jesus Christ. That through the cross, God took the worst act in human history, the most worst act in crucifying a sinless savior and turn it into the best thing because he freed the world from the slavery of sin and freed the world from chains. Not only that, but now as a down payment for that which is to come, God has sent his Holy Spirit to live in believers, to live in you and me if we know Christ. That God has stepped into creation and gotten involved because he is that personal, that special revelation. The gospel of Jesus Christ The tough thing is there's some in this room who have never given their lives to Jesus, truly. There's no music playing. Everybody's looking around because emotions are involved, but it's not an emotional moment. Some of you don't know Jesus Christ in a saving way, if I can be honest. In a room this big, I believe there's there's people in here who don't believe this. In fact, some of you may disagree with the teaching tonight. And that's fine. You, you don't have an issue with me. Your issue is with the Bible. That's what I believe. That's fine. But there's some of you who don't believe in Jesus, in the gospel of Christ. You think it's fake, just like I did at 21 years old. You don't believe it. I'll tell you this. You'll spend your whole life trying to disprove the resurrection, never able to. You are so loved and so valued that you were created by a divine being who loves you, who crafted you, who formed you. And then he loved you so much that when you and I chose sin, he sent down his son to pay the payment that you and I couldn't for sin. And because of that, we have hope that quite literally, when you give your life to Jesus, it doesn't mean you check a box for church membership. It means you repent of your sin, which is not just telling God your sins, but giving God your sins. Say, hey, I repent, I turn from it. And then Romans 10, 9 says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, And believe in your heart, God, raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And that's a decision that you can make tonight. We have prayed for you. I pray that you would because you are so valued and you are so loved. And If you don't believe that, you look at the cross, you look at the gospel, you look at how you were made because the world will tell you that you were not created with value, that you are just here. And to be honest with you, Sean, if we don't have a higher power, if we don't have a higher authority, if we don't have a creator, who's to say you are valued? Let's get really honest for a moment. If God doesn't determine our value, who does? Two options. Three: Either the world determines your value. <laughs> that's a slippery slope. Or you determine your value, which on days when you feel good, it's fun. In days when you don't feel good, it's not fun. Or three, you have no value. See, I believe scripture when it teaches that you are loved and valued because God says so, because God purchased you on the cross, because he shed his blood to come and get you when you were off chasing sin. He loves you that much. Do you believe that? But you have a choice. You have a choice. Romans 1, Paul says this, Romans 1 verse 21, For they knew God, but they didn't glorify him as God or show gratitude, Instead, they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. You have a choice. Scripture teaches a much different truth than what the world is going to teach you. And I want to prepare you for the fall by saying this. You are not just an animal. You were not made in a factory. You didn't get here by chance. You were created by someone who loves you. This won't be on the screen, but 1 John 3 verse 1 says this, See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. Oh, you're so loved. You're so valued. You have a problem. That problem's sin. God dealt with it. If you will trust his grace and trust his mercy and call out for forgiveness, he's dealt with it. But he loves you so much. I have a few questions for you. To end, here it is. I want you to think very carefully on these things, right where you're sitting. I don't want you to think about other people. I want you to think about you. In light of all this, in light of God's glory, and our calling, and our value, here's my question. Are you living a life that is glorifying and honoring to God? Let's get specific for a moment, because this generation needs specifics. Are what your eyes looking at glorifying to God? man let's get specific the stuff you look at on your phone when you're alone with your boyfriend or your girlfriend are what your eyes seeing, glorifying and honoring to the lord he loves you he has a better way for you sin is only going to hurt you is what your mouth saying glorifying and honoring to the lord david ends this song by saying may the words of my mouth be acceptable to you we find ourselves in hateful speech, we find ourselves in slander, we find ourselves in gossip, we find ourselves talking bad about fellow children of God. That's sin. Not only that, but does what your heart hold on to, is that glorifying to the Lord? I ask these questions as somebody who has to ask myself these questions every day. But if we don't ask ourselves these questions, a lot of times nobody else will. So, your heart, does it glorify the Lord or is it glorifying an idol? Is it glorifying ministry? Is it glorifying opinion? Is it glorifying something other than God? You'll never find joy. What your mind thinks. How you treat your family. How you treat your siblings. How you treat your friends. How you treat strangers. Tonight, my prayer is that you would be so encouraged by the glory of the Lord in nature and in you as a creation of his. But I also pray that you walk out those doors tonight asking the right questions about your walk with the Lord. And that even in this room, when worship ends, maybe we don't jump straight into casual small talk, but maybe we jump into a conversation around somebody we're sitting next to where we start talking about what we just learned. Not other people. Not our goals and selfish ambitions, but where we in this room would turn to each other, whether we know them or not, and start talking about the things of the Lord, glorifying the Lord right here in this place. My last thing I'll leave you with is this. The greatest honor in this life, it won't be on the screen, this is just what I have for you. The greatest honor in this life is to know God and give God glory And that just happens to be the purpose of your life. How humbling is that? How exciting is that? How exhilarating is that? So whether we eat or drink or serve or whatever we do, may we do it so that to God be the glory. And all God's people say, amen.